Hi there, little guy. Are you here for the mandatory redistribution party? Come right this way. My name's Sean Morley. Welcome, little one. My name is Jack Lewis Evans. And we're going to be looking after you here. Do you need anything? Are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Are you self-actualised? Are you happy? Jack, they're frowning. Can you do something? Um, here's a little balloon. Jack, that's much too small. Oh, no. Oh, f- oh God. This episode is about happiness. What is it, why is it, and how? And why? You can make other people happy by letting them know about this podcast by sharing it on social media or putting a poster up with a QR code in your town hall. Disclaimer, this will only make people happy if they are the very specific Mando's demographic, people whose homes suffer from damp and are surprisingly scrappy in a fight. And what if you wanted to make us happy? Well, you could subscribe to our Patreon and patreon.com slash mandatory redistribution party and unlock a little collection of extra tidbits. Like recently, when I was introduced to Star Trek, which made Jack happy and made me feel, uh, you know, fine. Are you saying Star Trek didn't make you happy? I want you to be happy. Well, no, it made me uh, made me feel f- fine, and I like feeling fine. Sean, this episode is about happiness. I need to hear you happy. The listeners need to hear you happy. They can hear you not smiling. Oh, I am. Well, I, I am. So I am happy. I'm smiling, and I'm. I'm not very expressive. It's but not I'm, an authentic I'm, smile. Well, it is. Well, if I don't normally smile, then it's authentic. I'm, I, I feel fine. I'm normal. I'm Listen, fine. And say, do you smile? Smiley Sean, happy Sean. Come on, say something good. I'm, hap- I'm, ha- I'm happy. I'm having a wonderful time. Happier. Thank you. I'm happy. I'm having a wonderful time. Thank you happier. so much for having. Thank you. I'm they happy. I'm so happy. I'm so. Then they'll be sad, and it'll be your fault, Sean. I'm happy. I'm happy. I love it here with all my friends. Would you go immortal? No, fuck that. Why? Um, are you like invulnerable as well? Could you die if you wanted to? Could you take yourself out? Uh, immortal's immortal, right? Immortal means you're not mortal. Cannot have your divine link severed. But most of your life is going to be spent after the sun swallows the earth, just drifting through space. Hmm. So you're worried about being bored? Yes. I hate boredom, Sean. I hate it. I hate being bored. I I hate it. I think when the sun explodes, it would send you somewhere. Somewhere interesting. For a bit. Well, I think it would be good when you're like, whoa, I'm flying through space. And space is massive and empty. And then you would get Mm. bored. You'd have no one to talk to, nothing to breathe, nothing to eat, nothing to listen to you would be bored out of your mind. Like, even if you had a Steam Deck, that is going to run out of battery really fast. Do you really think that space travel and colonisation and leaving the solar system won't have been invented by the time the sun swallows the Earth? Uh, 100,000%. I think before the sun swallows up the Earth, humanity will be wiped out. <laughs> Long before. Because the heat from the sun approaching will fuck us up and they like even if i think the revolution happens i i, I am highly skeptical about space travel because you can't do faster than light and then all of the problems if you don't have faster than light it's just it's just an absolute horror show it's it's an absolute disaster um could um you know 
quantumly entangle a door to somewhere else. Yeah, like portals. Like, okay, if we have, so I'm, I am more open to being immortal if there's like a kind of Stargate portal mm. thing going on. Yeah. And your fundamentally, your fundamental concern is boredom. Need stimulation. Need stuff yes. coming in. Need new 100%. media. Need release dates in the calendar. One hundred percent. Like if I haven't got Elden Ring Seven to play, I will. Or like friends, <laughs> I mm. will go. I will go completely west. Have you watched the film The Man from Earth? No. Relevant film for this discussion. Uh, but this is the premise. <clears throat> They're in this guy's house. He's a history professor in America. And he's moving, he's leaving. So his friends come round who are other lecturers. You know, you've got like your philosophy person, your, uh, you know, there's a, like an archaeologist, there's a biologist, whatever. Uh, and they're visiting him. They're like, oh, you know, where are you going? Um, and then he says, oh, I have to move on every 10 years because I'm immortal. And if I, uh, if I stick around, people notice that I don't age. Yeah, I've heard that. And I've heard that trope in like vampire stuff as well. He fully commits to the idea and then they all just like ask questions, but they're all experts in different fields. Mm. It's good. It's a good film. I recommend. Okay, I'll check that out. That sounds fun. Um, Very, very low budget and not the most amazing acting, but premise carries it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Man from Earth. So it sounds like you just need a friend. Or maybe two, two or three friends. Yeah, friends. Yeah, yeah. So if you're immortal, but there's three three friends, you're back in? Are, they, are my friends immortal? First, I want to see, would you be mortal if you, there are three other people, but you don't know them? They're just randomly plucked from Earth's population. Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's risky. One of them's your existing friend, and two of them yeah. are, again, just randos. One of them, would I would end up being an enemy of... Uh... <laughs> One of the other immortals, I don't know. But then that's anti-boredom, so maybe I should like that. Yeah, if you really don't want... An enemy. I think, honestly, just hanging out with your friends, you would learn to hate your friends. So having you someone you enemies. don't like emphasizes uh, how much yeah, you like your like friends. Like a friends, Friendship only has meaning because there are other people in the world you like less. Yes, okay, yin and yang. So you really actually want someone uh, you hate to be immortal as well. Wow, yeah. Because then you won't be worried about what do I do with my time. You'll be thinking, mm-hmm. I hate Gary. Yeah, yeah, Gaz. yeah. You're not having this existential, like, what am I? What am I? You're just going, I hate Gary. I want Gary to fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know, though. I think um, I think I would go bonkers. I, th- I like the idea of having infinite time, you know, like the kind of Groundhog Day thing where you can just, like, learn mm. stuff. I think, I really do think I would get bored. But you'd be even more dislocated from humanity in the Groundhog Day. Oh, Groundhog Day's work. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because yeah. you can't develop any... Everyone else forgets the day, right? Mm. The resets. What do, you, what do you reckon? What would you What would you do? First, I was going to say I'd be immortal, no problem. But no I hadn't really thought about... <laughs> I hadn't really thought about any of the stuff you've brought up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I always thought the classic ones are like, all oh, your friends will die, or your that's family will term. die. That's nothing. I, I hadn't thought of the timescale. Yeah, that's gateway. That's gateway yeah, your, immortal Your problems. planet might blow up and you will become bored. Yes, adrift in space. Mm. For, for like, if you are truly immortal and cannot end your life, so you may live thousands of years on Earth and have all these amazing experiences, but you won't remember them a billion years from now when you're adrift in the infinite darkness of space. Mm. And presumably I still feel pain. Well, you still feel everything. You just can't yeah. die. So, I mean, when I'm in space, I'm having a shocker. I'm not bored. 
I'm tormented, right? Because I, I feel like I'm drowning. You are basically in our kind of hell. Yeah. You're, you're in horrific pain and mental anguish. And then I think there would probably come a point where that just becomes the default and you remember nothing else. Much like you were saying, mm. you need an enemy in order to appreciate a friend. You perhaps need the absence of pain to truly experience pain. When pain becomes just normal after like a year of being in the exact same pain adrift in space with no one to talk to and an em mm. a, a battery empty steam deck that that would be really bad i think i think that would and basically be nude as well or if you had clothes they're not going to last after a while they'll degrade i was thinking maybe like i haven't jumped into space have i no one sent me into space the planet just burnt up around me yes and yeah. that would take my clothes yeah. with me so i'm nude i'm probably bloated yeah. i'm freezing i feel like i'm drowning uh -huh. i feel like i'm exploding in a constant uh -huh. state of just about to burst uh -huh. but as long as gary's going through the same thing mother <laughs> <laughs> Every few thousand years, you just catch a glimpse of him. Yeah. There he Glad is. he's going through this as well. Yeah, fuck you, Idiot. Gary. <laughs> <laughs> it's his fault. <laughs> Are you happy? What even is happiness? People have been thinking about this stuff since there were people. Fred Flintstone, Wilma Flintstone, Mitochondrial Eve. They were all thinking, how do I live a happy life? Do you know, in the 70s, some American architect built a replica of the Flintstones house. Like, it's just a grotesque plastic thing worth millions of dollars. And uh, this, whoever lives in it now has been trying to sell it for years, but no one wants to buy it because it's the Flintstones house. <laughs> anyway, happiness. Discussion on happiness tends to reflect the dominant values of a particular society. So, like, Flintstones thought happiness was powering cars carved out of rock with your bare feet even though it's made out of rock and you're using energy to lift it up. It doesn't really make sense. Ancient Greeks debated if the key to happiness was a virtuous life. Feudal Christian societies thought happiness would be about sacrifice. It's about doing what you're told now and then maybe, maybe, you'll get to be infinitely happy when you are dead. The individual pursuit of happiness is laid out as a fundamental right. In the American Declaration of Independence in 1776, they said that people well, they said men, but they said people have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unless, obviously, you were uh, one of the slaves, the people who wrote that. Oh. Today, capitalism centers happiness in a quite weird way. Like, while we center the individual's right to pursue happiness, we also live in a machine designed to make us feel like shit. Like, every advert you see on a bus, on your phone, beamed over 5G into your nightmares, is trying to sell you something. Buy egg. But it's also doing more than that. They're trying to make us sad so that they can sell us happiness. They tend to more be about the happiness that comes out of the product, the, that emotion rather than the product itself. The product is a means to that end and that end is happiness and you don't have it. Adverts want to make us feel like we're missing something. They never want us satisfied. Look how happy that family is in Mackey's. Maybe if I eat a Big Mac, it'll make me feel like that. Look how happy this woman is now she's febrezed her entire house. I too wish to convince my guests I have never stank and will never stink. We're bombarded with what is basically propaganda for depression in order that we can be sold the cure. Bonus, the cure requires money for which we have to spend most of our lives working to get, often not being happy at all. Don't worry though, if work isn't making you happy, maybe you can be happy by uh, 
and just working harder, which might, but probably won't, make you a billionaire. Maybe you'll become happy if you uh, turn the thing you do for your own joy in your spare time into your work, commodifying something you were just enjoying into yet another product to sell. Are you not happy because you're poor? Well then, despite all those adverts you see on the bus, on your phone and beamed over 5G into your nightmares, actually you shouldn't worry about material things and should simply breathe in, breathe out. You just need to practice some well-being techniques so you can be content in your poverty. Don't worry about things you can't control. Be grateful for what you have. If you live in California in a three-bedroom plastic replica of the Flintstones house, don't even try to sell it. Find out who built it. Take a bouquet of flowers to their grave and whisper under your breath. Thank you. If you were not feeling good, what is something that could make you feel good? If I wasn't feeling yeah, good. If you're having like a bad day, what would, what would sort you out? Like I'm grumpy, forlorn. Yeah, grump mall. Hmm, I think a, a little surprise confection. Someone just goes, hey, Sean. And then yeah. you look down, what, what's that in the hand? It's a, it's a Ferrero Rocher. Oh, that's very yeah, fancy. Luxurious. Yeah. It, and it's, it's a mixture of things. One, uh, you get a nice little sensation, but yes. also someone has remembered you exist. Yes. They've, they've sought you out yeah. and they've given you a little piece of resources. Yes. A little piece of the world, a little piece of nice. They've shared They didn't have to. They didn't have to do that. Mm. I think they probably felt good. If I, if I said, hey, Sean, hey, Sean, do you want this Ferrero Rocher? And then seeing your little face light up mm. would make me feel good. When I was a teenager, I remember I was really horrible. And one time I was eating Rolos with my, my wow. friend by the Humber Estuary. Wow. And I said, oh, I'm on my last Rolo. Yeah. And then I looked at them meaningfully. And then I threw my Rolo in the river. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so I think the benefit that has, if I was the other person, I would have found that really funny. Like it seems cruel, but it, that's why it's funny, right? I think, I think they enjoyed how horrible that was to do more than they would have enjoyed the Rolo. Exactly, exactly. That's, that's the bet. That's what I'm exactly. betting on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the gamble. You got to be pre- well. I say gamble. I think you got to be pretty confident in. Uh, someone's vibe if you're going to pull a move like that i think that i think the biggest jokes always have a 10 percent chance of ending the relationship uh, straight away yeah 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 mm. yeah yeah. if there's not a little chance of this this could go really badly wrong you're not mm. pushing you're not pushing yourself and that I doesn't made... mean being racist or transphobic just for... really yeah really underline that please that. yeah <laughs> highlight bold i've definitely made a few errors in judgment where i think being really angry is funny because I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, given to anger, and yeah, I find yeah, people yeah, who sort yeah. of blow up really funny. It's funny, yeah. And so I think pretending that suddenly I'm really angry about something is really funny. And I have to say, about 50% of the time, that does not come off. 50% of the time, people it, are like, Sean's finally blew up. It's because he snapped. Has anyone got for a rush, eh? The, yeah, the, uh, it's because character anger is funny, but mm. anger where you think it's real is not. So it's it's... You're telling me. Yeah, right? <laughs> so it's a tricky one. Yeah, you've really got to uh, communicate that it's joke anger. But then equally commit to the anger. Fucking hard. I fucked up big time, pretend to be angry. When I, when I was drunk, I yeah. was like, 
I'm going to pretend to be angry about this small mistake this person made. I don't know why. <laughs> I, and it was the first time meeting them. <laughs> how did that go? I spent... I couldn't... You know how when you make a big mistake, mm, you cannot... Yes, it's very that. hard to be like, can I speak to you in private and I want to... You know if you do something wrong yeah. and you're like, I'm not really like that, I did that mm. as a joke. It doesn't make any sense, you can't yes. do that. So I found myself around this one person, yeah. and if you are listening, it is you, um, <laughs> being performatively calm. Wow. <laughs> so they're like... You know, this is real me. You know, when you really emphasize, this is the real me. I'm so calm and I'm so nice. I think um, that might make you scarier. Like you're mostly calm, but you actually lashed out at this person. Like, like I think you should guy. have gone full. Oh, Sean's just angry all the time. <laughs> no, that's terrible advice. <laughs> <laughs> because then the joke, the joke would have become yeah, reality. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I would like that to be the one person just walking around Earth who thinks you're like rage guy. I think I think there are. I think there's people who think I'm a real rage guy. That's fine. There's loads of people who, whatever you do, however good you try to be and work on yourself, and you think, I am doing the best me I can, someone somewhere thinks you're a fucking dickhead. I, I get that as a truism, and it is true, yeah. but it... But it is more comp it, that situation is more complicated when sometimes you pretend to be a dickhead <laughs> because you think it might make other people happy. <laughs> With a, and you yeah. have a massive margin of error. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> like the, the truism is true, but if you do that on top, you are asking for trouble. <laughs> yeah, that is your fault. <laughs> mm. And it's hard to say, like, are you not now really a dickhead? <laughs> no, it was a joke. What a joke that no one enjoyed, that you did of your own back, that you're, you've done again, even though it never works. What, where, where does the performance end here? <laughs> so do we, do we think how others perceive us contributes to our happiness? Is that... Is that... Is that important? Do you care about Do what I other think, people think about you? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I, I, same. I think if you don't, you've you've You're gone mad. a bit mad, psycho. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know when people do those pep talks about like be confident, be confident. Doesn't matter what anyone else thinks of you. I think <laughs> steady whoa, whoa, on. Whoa, hold on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> st st steady on. Let other people's <laughs> stares sometimes inform your behavior. <laughs> sometimes, yeah, yeah, not yeah. always. <laughs> the way these people are looking at me indicates I perhaps should not be doing a poo on the bus. Do you know what I mean? It feels yeah. like you try, with those pep talks, you're trying to build a generation of litterers. Yeah. Oh, my God. Don't get me started on littering and fly tipping, buddy. Pet yeah. peeve. Chucking crisp packets on the floor, people are like, yeah. and they're like, they're just jealous. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they wish they could have thrown those hula yeah. hoops into the curb. <laughs> Why is that guy glaring at me out of his window as I leave two couches in the alley behind his house? Just wishes he had this many couches to spare. He wishes he'd come up with this idea. We all only really know who we are because of the people sort of tell us. Mm. Who am I? I find out by just at the, by working out how people treat me. Like, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because you can't exist solely to people, please. We've seen people in the midst of living life that way, and it's, it's grim. You have no ego at the centre. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You, you become too chameleon. You can't drift through life, well, not even drift, power through life with sheer force of ego. Like, I have self-belief and I don't care what anyone thinks. Hyper-individualist, like, rebel guy. And that, to me, is like teenager brain. But it's also, like, the bedrock of loads of, like, business banter or, like, sort of Tim well, Robbins. If you say there's, like, a single-axis spectrum yeah. of, like, utter selflessness and yeah. then absolute selfishness, uh -huh. and you would want to, like, work out, well, where do we want to 
put our ego pip along this line, right? <laughs> yeah. My issue is, and maybe both of our issue is, is that the ego pip where we would say, this is what, if everyone did it, it mm. would make a nice society, mm. is different to which pip position would help you get ahead in a competitive career. Because capitalism kind of rewards that. And that is why that delusion is so central to the self-help stuff, which we've spoken about before, kind of self-help stuff, mm. of, of, of central to the myth of mythology of capitalism is just that sheer force of will, partly so it can attribute wealth to force of will and individual actions rather than inherited or structural, but partly also because that's how, if you wish to succeed in that kind of stuff, you need to have that kind of um, ruthlessness, which might also involve considering others' perceptions of you with a very specific agenda of like, I need these people to like me and think X, Y, and Z about me, but I don't care about these other people. Oh, yeah, yeah. So your social dynamics become like ladder dynamics, right? Where you're yeah. always kissing asses, but you're also just ignoring people that like can't give you anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's instead of people pleasing where it's someone who wants to for others and so others like them, it's like you manipulating people. So you're still thinking about how, what others think, but to an, an objective of the ego. Mm. Mm. Neither good. If we're talking about like the self, the self-help decided business brain, right? Yeah. The like multiple YouTube playlists about how to turn yourself into Patrick Bateman. <laughs> yeah, it's like it pathologizes compassion a little bit, and also tells you to like reorient your goals. Because for many people, what would make them happy and have a nice life? is just to be provided for and have people around them that care about them. And there's absolutely yeah, nothing yeah, yeah. wrong with that being your end goal of living mm. within a mindset that's becoming like, you know, increasingly prevalent yeah, in yeah, yeah. every area of life and work. You have to be like, hustle to the top, hustle to the top. But I don't want to be richer. Yeah, I don't yeah, want yeah. to have uh, a nicer vehicle. I don't want my fridge to talk to me. I am happy just being provided for and having friends around me. It feels like there is like a propagandist effort to like reorient my values about what would make my life fulfilling or what would make me happy. I love the people who are like, the solution to my happiness is to cut out toxic people, quote unquote toxic people, where what they, they through sheer force of will want to manifest this good stuff. So then they just start fucking off friends and family because they're like, these people have bad energy. They're fucking my vibe. <laughs> mm -mm. And the way that like our communities aren't mediated by like proximity yeah. and, you know, normal analog kinds of communication. Everything's mediated through technology now. So just fucking people off who said, why are you doing that? Or like fucking people <laughs> off who said, I think you might be in a multi-level marketing yeah, scheme. I think, I think there's you're a pyramid in scheme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, <laughs> this is this is fear and doubt of success talking and I need to get this person out yeah. of my life. I'm really worried you're spending all this money on NFTs. What mm. is a Pixelmon? Sounds like you've got a three by three pixel drawing of a zombie that you've spent all of your life savings on. And some of mine. I lent you money. <laughs> yeah, I need that money back. My water <laughs> bill's just gone up 500%. <laughs> and you've bought a zombie. This is like Jack and the Beanstalk stuff. <laughs> and then Jack came back with an NFT and his family starved. <laughs> Having friends is good. That is a source of happy. You would much rather have friends than not have friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big you can give me everything else in the world, but if I'm completely isolated, yeah. then what's the point? Bad. Very yeah. bad. I think people struggle in general to make friends in adulthood. I think we have the advantage because we've pursued a similar, you know, we're friends through comedy, through work we do, but like elective, you know, like work that we've chosen to be like, I like this thing. I like making things like this. And then we've made friends through that. But I think a lot of people's workplaces, like I'm not really friends with people in my day job. 
I'm friendly mm. with them, but they're not my friends. After school or uni or whatever, a lot of pathways to friendship kind of slam shut. Yeah, I've never, I think through comedy and neurology, I've never personally had like a work friend. Yeah. Whenever I've had like my day job, I just had people I knew, knew. at work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, sometimes yeah. I'll see them around the city and I'll say, hello. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll never stop for no, long. No, no. I never would. But I know people that are like, these are my work friends. And then you just, they'll spend social time with their colleagues. Yeah. And, and I, sometimes I will get to witness this. They'll be like, mm. oh, these are your work friends yeah, yeah. okay you're spending time voluntarily people you've got nothing in common with and you don't seem to like very much but you, you work together yeah that sounds horrible <laughs> school and university are the one times where it's like here you're going to meet another a massive random catchment of people that have nothing in common yeah. at all and you're just going to spend a lot of time with them and when you go to a workplace and beyond everything's sort of homogenized mm. nothing's ever quite mm. as diverse as school no. even then I've ditched all of my school friends mm. because they were just randos that lived in the local school catchment. <laughs> and it makes sense that the, the people I like the most I've met through comedy yeah, predominantly yeah, because yeah. it's completely elective. It's like mm. an expression of my personality. Yeah. And I see other people expressing their own personality. And you can also become friends on the back of like admiring each other's work and yes. self-expression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think a lot of people get anything equivalent. And I see, I remember a lot of the time uh, when I was much younger, thinking a lot about other people's parents mm. because I would go to my friend's house mm. and I think, who are our parents' friends? Do your parents have friends? Who are your parents' friends? <laughs> I remember a while, but this, I was like a stopped clock. Yeah. I just asked, I got really curious about this. Yeah. Like, take a moment, who are your parents' friends? And they're like, huh? <laughs> wow. Do your parents have friends? And they were like, mind blown. <laughs> Who are my parents' friends? And the best I'd get is like, oh, was someone from work came round to the house once, yeah. I think. The neighbours come round, I think, when my dad was doing DIY. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if your parents have got real close friends, then they become, they, get the, they gain the label auntie or uncle when they are neither your auntie nor your uncle. We had um, Auntie Connie and Auntie Gwen, yeah. just two different kinds of neighbours. Gwen would come round to my nan's house yeah, every Wednesday yeah, evening yeah. and they would have one sherry from a special glass. And I wasn't allowed to witness <laughs> yeah. this. I wasn't allowed oh to go God, in. The forbidden Couldn't go chalice. in the living room. Forbidden chalice. I don't know what was going on. They were doing on. a fucking ritual, mate. They were doing something. No, it was an absolute parish bitch fest, I yeah. think. Who in the parish is fucking around? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How do, do we hate? feel about the new priest? <laughs> <laughs> new priest is rushing through the mass. The homilies you could barely work out. We need to get the priest to slow down yeah, the mass. Yeah. He needs to stop speed running it. <laughs> Some of them do, these new priests. Yeah. Bish bash bosh. Yeah. I need to think about it. I need to think about what's being said. Well, isn't that the point? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Should <laughs> They're be. not in Latin anymore. We want to understand this stuff. <laughs> I love the old school church thing of, well, they can read the Latin. And then we sit and listen yeah. to it. If you want to know this, just learn Latin. Okay, well, I work in a fucking farm. You can teach me Latin. <laughs> we've veered. We've veered really we've veered, far. We've veered off. Yeah, we've veered off. <laughs> The guy that's coming into my brain with notions of happiness that we're talking about, and I think we've touched upon a few, which is friends, good. Mm. Doing stuff that isn't just like work for the sake of work, but having some joy in what you devote yourself to. I'm thinking Epicurus. Go on. Um, he is the man who Karl Marx wrote his thesis on. Right. And he's a guy knocking around at ancient Greece, and he decided, I'm going to figure out what like a happy life is and he sets up his little school and then everyone's like scandalizing him and saying Do you know what they're doing in epicurus's school they're fucking 
Right. They're all fucking. That was. They weren't all fucking. Um, well, I don't think they were. There might have been some fucking. He basically was like, and then you know, classic ancient Greece where they're like, all right, I'm gonna have a think about this thing. Do you want to come and have a think about it with me? And then some other people come and they're like, yes, yeah, okay. Like, what do we reckon? Reckon this. Mm. And I, I think he came up with. He was like, material stuff not vitally important because it's just it's transient. And if you once you get it, then you just want. More, you know, like it's it's like an infinite. Yeah, the problem dip. with a sandwich is it goes away. It goes away. So if all your happiness is based on this sandwich, <laughs> yeah. sorry, your Bloody happiness is, is not going to last. Yeah, that Subway yeah. loyalty card is a bad idea. And then although I do think my caveat to that is all of the people who are like, oh, material, not so much Epicurus because he's like uh, living in ancient Athens or whatever, but the people who are like, oh, money doesn't bring you happiness. They are normally people who are not poor. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> like, oh, you don't this... need material things. Oh, well, I would like there to not be damp in my house. I would like to go to bed not hungry. Like, it, the people who are saying that stuff, it's like, yeah, okay, money doesn't matter, but there is like a baseline where survival and, you know, somewhere to live and food, you need some stuff. You can't just live in squalor. Shelter um, is material, I'm afraid. I can't think myself warm. Yeah, it, but yeah. it's a bit of a weird thing. It's like, oh, actually, all happiness... You just need to decide not to want the things. It's very much like... You can see how some of that stuff has been co-opted into uh, wellness shit within... Yeah, within sure, and this new minimalism and stuff. And yeah, they're always rich. Yeah, yeah. always rich. Like, and then Epicurus set up these um, things where his, his basic deal is... You need some friends, so he kind of lives in a co-op. He's not that interested mm. in I think he puts friends above romance because again he's like it's just it's tricky business. The pursuit of romantic relationships can cause lots of problems. Don't know what was did, I, I think that could be pretty good, but Epicurus not huge on it. Romance skeptic. Sack off work unless it's necessary for spend your time doing things you want to do, so you know like reading and things like that. But then also the work you should do is just like enough to get food or whatever. Don't like work yourself to the bone for for someone else. And then there's loads of like Epicurean communities, not necessarily when he was alive, but it's an interesting thing about monasteries, right? There's like half a million people living in Epicurean communities, like communes in like right. um, ancient Greece and then into the Roman period. But when Christianity came, they just went and said, no, shutting all these down, but they just turned them into monasteries. That's really interesting. <laughs> I found, interesting I've always found it? monasteries really interesting because yeah. it... It feels like they're just a bunch... It feels like a commune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the first monasteries were originally communes. That, That's they, great. That they just co-opted into this new thing. And it's interesting because Epicurus as well was not interested in religion. He's not like mm. a Richard Dawkins atheism guy, but his idea of happiness is like a... I guess it's secular. It's just it's not asked about religion. It's not asked about like an afterlife or pleasing gods or living by a set of religiously determined rules. He's just like... These are the things I think make people happy. And it's, you know, having a community, having friends. Yeah, basically a commune, which is interesting given Marx did his doctorate on it. Mm. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm following. <laughs> I've definitely always been fascinated by any stories I can get of, of people who made a little breakaway small society. Yeah. But they always seem to go to hell. Because either something vital breaks down mm. and then this sheer equal discourse between different people doesn't work because Jeremy hates Sally now. Yeah, so yeah, how yeah, do we yeah, do yeah. deliberative democracy? Yeah. <laughs> or 
someone ends up getting some power or some uh, hierarchy, and then you've got something which feels a cult. bit coercive. You've got a cult. There's somewhere between a cult. <laughs> there's somewhere between a cult. It could just be, you know... One of them's got a gun. One of them has all the carrots, yeah, and a gun, and an AK, <laughs> and this big red button, and, and he just says, you don't want me to press this. <laughs> Won't say what it does. <laughs> Yeah, you know, don't follow where the wire goes. I decide what's on the menu or I'm pressing this. Remote control. <laughs> it's a red, big red button and it's a wire and it goes all around the compound, all underground, and then it just comes back into the guy's room. And what the red button, if you hit the button, it opens a box and inside the box is a gun. <laughs> yeah, it allows him to access his own gun, provided he gets to the box first. <laughs> <laughs> it airdrops a gun in a random location. Yeah, spawn gun. <laughs> yeah, that, if I press this button, there will then be a gun, and then no one will know peace. If, if you had a gun in like 300 BC, you would be formidable if you're in an Epicurean community. One gun, one bullet. <laughs> <laughs> one big decision. <laughs> <laughs> Reality TV show. Um, yeah, definitely more of a Channel Four thing. So, did you not? Have you not? Had you not encountered Epicurus in the in the briefest of details? So, the main way that he pops up is he is the guy the Stoics come after. I think. So you'll know. So I was thinking about the Stoics. Okay, right, because I was thinking. So the Stoics. I mean, we already sort of know what they were about, given the word has lasted, and it's about like when you get too much brought into like reality and drama and start caring about little things your emotions can cause you imbalance so you should kind of retreat a little bit the headline difference between the stoics and epicurus is epicurus is like how do we be happy and the stoics mm. go fuck happy how do we be virtuous right that's the difference between the two the, the key stoic thing of don't stress about stuff you can't control you can control your thoughts and your actions and your actions have like a limited impact mm remember that and that is a way to not allow yourself to be overwhelmed with emotion so i've been thinking about that difference between like virtue and happiness oh yeah. probably explains why epicurus is not religious uh-huh. is because once you start thinking about virtue or a deity or something yeah, you know, greater than yourself yeah, 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 yeah. you're not worrying about like how do i be happy because if there's a greater virtue than that mm, something mm. greater than your own happiness then it becomes about either modifying your behavior or in the more extreme cases, mm. as with a lot of like religions, modifying what you want yes, and changing what it is you're like fundamentally going for. Because if there is a God and you need to worship them, mm. then just sort of, you know, growing some potatoes on the farm with your friends, that's not enough anymore. Yeah. Where's the tithe? <laughs> when I think of someone who is completely happy, I cannot help but picture someone who is either incredibly stupid or willfully ignorant. A well-groomed adult smiling blankly like someone from an advert. They are lifting up a product, showing it to their spouse as even-tempered light filters in through their gorgeous house. I hate this person. I think of Steamboat Willie continuously flexing and unflexing his fingers, rhythmically bouncing at the knees, smiling emptily as he toots the steam whistle of his modest craft. He lives for nothing. He has no ambition. I hate Steamboat Willie. I want to be happy absolutely 100%. But what happens then? What is waiting for me at the end of the rainbow? 
Who will stare back at me from the bathroom mirror? A confident Chad, my jaw muscular and swollen from the big grins I do? Or a vacant caricature, another vessel to be piloted by Steamboat Willie's endless voyage to nowhere? Arthur Schopenhauer, a miserable German philosopher, said that happiness is a delusion. Happiness's true purpose is as an imagined state projected into the future. In reality, life is a pendulum vacillating unevenly between sadness and boredom. And these forces are what drive us forward, the carrot and stick of doing anything ever. The urge to improve our lot and make things better is motivated by this false belief of future satisfaction. But it is dissatisfaction that really fuels our will to live. Schopenhauer is labelled a pessimist and, yeah, well, absolutely, seems like a horrible guy to know. But I would sooner live within this way of life than the alternative. Complete bliss. Absolute fulfilment. Wandering, open-mouthed, wide-eyed, filtering a cacophony of bright colours through my vast, dilated pupils. Finally, I am satisfied. Finally, I am complete. I lay down and wait for death. few episodes back now i did that explainer on robert nozick you know the wilt chamberlain mm -hmm. argument so nozick's got another idea which is a superior idea even though he's like a big apologist for reagan and thatcher economics his basic point is that okay so if you're saying the goal of life is happiness then that is like almost like a hedonistic philosophy depending on how you you know how you define happiness like is happiness just like the sensation of pleasure and he says well if you built i think he calls it the experience machine but think of it as like VR, some metaverse matrix thing. You build a machine and in it, you can experience anything you can possibly imagine that will make you happy. And within the machine, it is experienced as real. So it's like, it's like being properly plugged into the matrix. And he is like, well, if the point of life is happiness, then you could just go in that machine, live out your life impacting no one else I mean, just, uh, putting aside all the concepts of like, where is the fuel come from? Has a, uh, you know, where was the uh, chips in the VR headset mind? Put, put all that aside in this hypothetical and basically say, you are just experiencing happiness and pleasure. Like you're dating Kim Kardashian and Pete Davidson. You are, you have a mech, you have uh, like a richy rich house, whatever people want. But he's basically kind of saying, oh, is that, is that good? <laughs> and I think exp kind of expecting people to go, well, no, because you need to, it isn't true happiness. It's just like, you know, ha it, you, you have to have some real impact on other people. But, uh, but then some of the critiques of that are like mega galaxy brain, because he's kind of saying you need to have impacts on others to, to live a truly good and happy life. Right. So, mm -hmm. he, so he's saying it can't just be this like VR experience in Zuckerberg's metaverse or the matrix. You have to have real effects on but that's like almost like a, a status quo bias because then a, a whole other bunch of philosophers are going to say, but how do you know this is real? 
Oh, well, you go back to you brain know, you and Nevada. You go back to brain and Nevada, which is a boring conversation that you know we all did when we were fourteen. We've all seen but the Matrix. We've, we've all done. seen the Matrix. We get it, right? <laughs> yeah. But but like, if you take if you if you kind of just <laughs> ignore that 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 like oh, is everything a simulation thing? I think it's an interesting thought experiment. I don't know. What do you think of that? When I was introduced to this idea, I saw it as way more hedonistic because it would say you are made happy in every way that someone can. It's like, what if you wrapped up happiness to mm. 11, which means all the different flavors of happiness mm. are being wrapped up at the top. So not only are you married and you have a fulfilling job mm. and you feel virtuous and people are kind with you, you're also constantly like feeling the sensation of sugar and umami. And you're also <laughs> coming, you're coming constantly. You're just oh, wow. constantly having <laughs> orgasms, right? Because that's one of the nice places. Yeah, yeah, you've yeah, got to be yeah, having yeah. all of them constantly someone's always giving you a back rub <laughs> you can whenever you want you know you can feel fresh produce and go yeah, yeah. that feels firm because that's a yeah, thing yeah, that makes yeah, you happy yeah, right but you're in the matrix it does yeah. you know what firm veg firm fruit and veg yeah i mean finding one that's just right you know yeah 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 but you don't want to be the that fruit be good uh, you don't want to be the fruit coming back to perceptions you don't want to be the fruit rummager it feels good. It makes you feel proper. It makes it's one of the few times where I, as someone with no DIY or practical yeah. skills, can touch an object yes. and go, that's good. That's I'll tell sturdy. You what it is. I think it That'll brings hold. <laughs> what are you gonna use it for? I think it uh I think it brings to mind the ancient sensation of harvesting something yourself. Mm. I think that's 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 why it gives you a little chemical hit. Some genetic memory uh -huh. from the from Mesopotamia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well then that's the that's the other thing, right? You go, oh well is 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 happiness the chemical compounds of like whatever, serotonin and dopamine and machine aside so let's let's bring in a different hypothetical machine, which isn't even a machine. It's a big syringe full of happy juice. And regardless of sensation, so you're not in VR anymore, you are just in a thing that gives you the chemical compounds that make you feel pleasure and contentment, however you're defining happiness. You feel that. So you feel great. But what's happening in front of you is, I don't know, someone's driving a Toyota Hilux over your puppy or something. You know, like some fucked up. Yeah. Like you're describing the experience of yeah. taking heroin while watching the news. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, are you happy then? My instinct is that you're not, but your actual mm. experience of happiness would be chemically the same as if you were actually experiencing happiness. Although I guess what I'm, I think in this, can I, can we only mean pleasure by that? Right. We want to be drawing a distinction between different kinds of, ha I think once you start doing that. Yeah, we're going in the weeds. No one wants to hear that. <laughs> well, not only that, but you make one of these really janky theories where you have to like create this Category hierarchy one. of different kinds yeah, of happiness. Yeah, yeah. And then you'll like define this kind of happiness. We're like, yeah, these are the bad yeah, kinds yeah. of happiness. And eventually it'll become all the things that poor people like to do, like <laughs> wear, wearing trackies or having a pint of Carlin or shouting at the TV. Yeah, They're yeah. like, these are the bad happinesses. Don't do these anymore. Here's is the good happiness that's involved checking your bank balance, living in a terraced house in North London. <laughs> you know, these are the good happinesses. You should strive yeah. for that. Yeah. Although, actually, what am I talking about? That's happened. <laughs> about that's, that's reality. That's the life we live in. There's the good, pleasurable things and the bad, pleasurable I things. I tell you what, though, that isn't that just the thing of the transfer from happiness to virtue we were talking about earlier, though? Like, as soon mm. as you start digging down and going, what's happiness? People end up, for some reason, talking about the virtuous life. This is exactly how it works. Right. Right? You start off going, okay, happiness is such an obvious route for me to think about yeah. what makes you happy. And you come at the end, like you do a massive research project, it's like sitting on your arse eating chocolate all day. I'm like, that can't be right. That can't be right. 
well, there must be another thing. There must be another kind of thing to do. And then you know you go, okay, it's this other thing. It's actually about praying, or it's about being quiet, or it's yeah. about saying thank you to the bus driver. And if you see someone eating chocolate, they're like, you fucking, you, you're dreadful. You're everything's wrong. You should go to prison. <laughs> Is this a flat screen TV? Yeah, you should you go to. This. You should be trawling eBay for hours to find a, CRT. a cathode ray. Yeah. yeah, even though they're more expensive now because of their collectors' items. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what my retort to Nozick is. Mm -hmm. He's like, oh, you know, if you were just doing this VR thing, is that true happiness? Listen, buddy, I have installed and played Miyazaki's Elden Ring. I, listen, I love my friends. I love working on stuff and creating and having a, a, a thing where, or, or helping people. I love these things, but I also fucking love a real good computer game where I am a tarnished seeking <laughs> the Elden Ring. <laughs> Elden Ring. <laughs> right? And it, do you know what? I feel, I, and it's not like, oh, I feel happy when I'm playing it. And then afterwards I feel really guilty and have this big thing of self-loathing. And because technically all I'm doing, it, again, it's the Nozick's thing is, well, I'm not in a hospital bed in this VR thing, but I am just like sat you know, I'm not plugged into the Matrix, I'm, but I am sat still vacantly in front of a screen. You know, like if you just objectively looked at me, you'd be like, that guy is not having a good time. But do you know yeah. what? I fucking am. <laughs> that guy's plugged into the happiness but, but, machine. Uh, but doesn't that flip back to like the same thing? a piece thing? of meat. Yeah. Cyberpunk. <laughs> but, but doesn't it just come back to like certain sources of pleasure are like virtuous and others aren't in that, say like literature like spending a day reading quality literature. I think even Epicurus himself, because maybe because video games doesn't exist, uses that as an example of like, that is a thing you should be doing is like enjoying some literature or something. But it's fucking, what about a game? You know, like really, a really good book has the same effect as a game where in a game you are playing this character and exploring a world and like having their, having that character's experiences in the game. But it's the same thing as a, a, a really good book. You're experiencing the experiences of the character. It's like, mm -hmm. a, uh, I mean, you're not controlling the character. The author's controlling the character much more totally than in a game. But I think it's a really similar experience. You know, like when you get an absolutely slapping video game and an absolutely slapping novel, the, the real difference in how you feel and that it, during and after is just that instead of being having a controller in your hand, you've got the book in your hand. Mm. For me, I don't know. And even within books, I remember when trying to, you know, work out what my reading tastes were when I was younger. I had I had this idea of like, here's what you ought to read. Mm. You've got to read all these Penguin classics. And I would force myself through a lot and being like, well, I want to be someone who reads, so I should read this. I wasn't having fun and i honestly think i could have just not done a lot of those i didn't enjoy <laughs> a, lot, a lot of them yeah, yeah and yeah. I, I just enjoy reading contemporary sci-fi and stuff like that yeah. now I, I think that's completely fine we hierarchy pleasure all the time yeah like i guess it's like power and prestige hierarchies uh -huh, just uh -huh. just end up yeah, influencing yeah, 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 these yeah, yeah. things do you know the thing i'm reminded of by this conversation and it's a bit of a, a left field turn is that i remember when i was First being told what communism and capitalism were yes. as a child. And yeah. you get a, a both sidesism. You know, you, hmm. you go like, here's, here's what was here and here's, here's, what, here's what was yeah, here. Yeah, pros and cons. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I remember one of the fundamental things was that um, in capitalism, or especially like America, yeah. you could go and do anything you want under, you know, if yeah, you have yeah, yeah, the resources, yeah, yeah. right, you could win the lottery, you could become a rock star, whatever. And in communism, you know, you can't starve 
it's it's very hard to like yeah. not be able to pay the rent because you're like in many ways fundamentally provided by the state, but you can't go off and just do whatever. That's the central choice that differentiates yeah, these two yeah, systems. Yeah, yeah. And within that, you get these visions of like 1984-ish, everyone in the same jumpsuits, everyone in the same buildings, yes. everyone doing the same thing, where there's an idea that some central authority has decided on some central conception of what is good, yeah, what the virtues yeah, yeah, yeah. are, and then they are imposed below yes and within freedom-loving uh western liberal countries yeah people can have any conception of happiness they want and then they can go off and try and often fail <laughs> to realize them but as we're talking about within those there is a conception of happiness that has mm. been decided from above mm. and a conception of virtues that have been decided from above that is imposed often quite punitively mm. on people below it feels like one of the things that is objected to by like critiques of communalized or even socialist or even anarchist or even mm -hmm. you know just non uh, free market systems mm. there's nothing like fundamentally incompatible with the idea of having a, a communist state where someone's saying i don't like my job it makes mm. me unhappy mm. could i do a different job and someone going yeah okay i don't mm. think you'll do a good job if you're miserable do this other thing mm. but within that you assume people aren't going to be taking the piss <laughs> going like, can I be? Um, I really don't like my job as a as a publisher. Can I be a rock star, please? That seems to make me happy. And you think, you know, well, no, you Yeah, you're taking the piss. No, we don't need those. Yeah, we we we, we can't have everyone being a rock star. <clears throat> and within that, you know, it's implicit that it's asking people, mm. you know. You can have whatever you want, but don't want something that's like really selfish. Mm. <laughs> don't want something that just only benefits you. You should want things within a system that is thinking about other people mm. rather than wanting to be a rock star, wanting to be a CEO, wanting to be like a world famous dolphin breeder. <laughs> Both of those are imposing virtues yeah, and imposing yeah. what you should think happiness is. But one of them is telling you to value other people uh, yeah, yeah, and one yeah. of them saying I don't worry about it do we like <laughs> <laughs> and then we're right by the start of like should you think about other people how does that how does other people affect your uh, happiness but and, and again it's not like I don't know it's really hard, isn't it? Well, it's not, we're not going to come up with an answer on a fucking episode of Mandatory Redistribution Party because the greatest philosophers of history have not got a concrete answer to this and we haven't even opened the nihilism door where you can just go, well, actually, nothing means fucking anything. Yeah, go down the <laughs> solipsism trench. <laughs> yeah. Which it probably does, nothing, you know, nothing means anything, but you construct your own meaning. And as long as you're aware that you're constructing your own meaning, you know, there's the stories we tell ourselves about our, our lives can make us feel better or worse about them. And to an extent, we have control over that. But at the same time, you can't retreat into a pure, uh, you know, that, a kind of stoicism that is just like, contentment with things being shit you know you know that thing of like there's a limit to what you can change and there's there's what you have control over which is your thoughts and actions and there's things in the world that you can't control so why stress about them that'll just make you depressed because if you believe you can change them you will just become depressed that you can't which i think is a thing that many people on the left is a, that's a sensation people have had but at the same time that spin on stoicism can just lead to total inaction because it's basically just saying contentment with the world as it is you need you need to think no actually collectively because stoicism is it's an individualist thing isn't it of going like well what about you know you only have control over your thoughts and actions but the greatest things achieved 
ever are achieved collectively with others. And you create meaning yourself, right? This yes, is you create meaning, you like, create your own meaning, yeah. I feel like we're heading into sort of like existentialism. Where yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Because everything fundamentally means nothing. You create yeah. meaning for yourself. I remember first reading Sartre's being a nothingness, being like, mm. what is this? What is yeah, going, what's going on? on here? And it's like, <laughs> from, from, from a position of like nothing, you need mm. to create what you think you are and, and make that have meaning. Mm. And I was like, what's the limits on that? And if there's a passage where it says, you know, you could yeah. will that you're a chaffinch, but <laughs> he says, that would be an act of bad faith. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that from like 10 years ago. I'm like, I'm going to be a chaffinch. This guy's, Sartre's writing animals. Yeah, life. <laughs> but yeah, this idea that obviously nothing has meaning, right? Because yeah. they wouldn't be good or bad or they wouldn't be pretty or smelly or salty if everyone was dead, right? They're subjective. Intersubjectivity is when a lot of people hold the same basic opinion, but it's still subjective. And so things like happiness and virtue, a lot of overlap, right? We all think murdering's a bit of a mm. bit of a bad vibe, mm. but there's still meanings we've imposed on the world. And so by having an idea of what you would like the world to be like, while still mediating it against the absurdity mm. of mm. outside realities, you can still create. A, going to use no, a vague word here: on. fulfilling. You can create a fulfilling Ooh, yes. life. Yes. And I think fulfillment comes from when you have a personal idea of happiness and happy yeah. and an idea of virtues, yeah. and you've managed to realise it uh, some of the way through compromising <laughs> with the absurdity of the outside world. Do you know the fucked quote that stays with me? The context of it, but it's another French guy. Is it? I never know because I've only ever read it. Is it Camus or Camus? Camus. Why is what's that S doing at the end of that? French. French, yeah. Um, which Albert, is, isn't it? You got two of those. You got yeah. two silent. Albert Camus. <laughs> Which is, uh, imagine Sisyphus happy. <laughs> What's wrong with that? That sounds great. I know. <laughs> is that supposed to cause me some kind of internal issue? That sounds yeah. wonderful. Well, yeah. That sounds like, like a nice gif. <laughs> it's like Sisyphus is the guy, I'm sure, you know, not to patronise this, Sisyphus is the guy pushing the rock. Does he infinitely push the rock or does he get the rock to the top and then the rock rolls back down and then he pushes it back up? Or is he I don't know whether it rolls down or whether he fails to push it to the very apex and it goes a little bit over. I don't know. I, I don't. I can't remember if that's the point he's making, but just I just find it funny. Imagine Sisyphus happy because it's like they use that as an example of like you know this guy's just point. It's like his hell. It's like his doom mm. that he's just pushing this rock and he can never actually achieve it. But then it's like uh, the, what Sisyphus needs to do is choose to give that meaning and then he's sorted. Well, <laughs> all Sisyphus needs is you know uh, uh, a sickly child who says, every day I look out the window and see you pushing the rock and it really cheers me up. <laughs> and Sisyphus is like, I have the perfect life. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes as well, you've got to remember in your life that, you know, sometimes you achieve stuff and then you forget about not having it and then you just start looking at this thing and you become discontent. Sisyphus may have thought at one point, I really wish I could have a rock. Mm. And he's forgotten. Right? And then the monkey's finger <laughs> curled up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you a rock, all right. <laughs> Man, 
Military Redistribution Party was created and produced by Sean Morley and Jack Lewis Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean, with additional music from Sean Morley and Jack Lewis Evans. Thank you so much for listening, and if you found some happiness in this chunk of Mando's content, please help others experience it too by sharing on social media. You can also support our work at patreon.com forward slash mandatory redistribution party, where we have additional content. Thank you very much for all of your support. We do greatly appreciate it. And we're doing some live Mando shows in April and May in Manchester, Sheffield and London. So follow us on Twitter at Mando Party where we'll be confirming those dates and announcing more soon. Exciting! La, 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 la.